Hey there, I'm Andrew Ainsworth, a proud supporter of Sword and Laser, thanks to Patreon.com. It's easy to set up, and what do you get out of it? Endless geeky bantering about the latest sci-fi and fantasy books. So if you want to help out, head over to Patreon.com slash Sword and Laser. Give a little, and get a lot of Veronica mispronouncing things. to the Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. Sword and Laser is a book club, but it is so much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of sci-fi and fantasy, and of course, just freaking fantastic discussions from fans just like you. Just like you. Just, well, like you. Like just, you. Uh, not specifically you, not him. Not him. Not, you. Not, not Dan. Just you. But not that, not that Dan, the other Dan. And not Mary. Ugh, Mary. Well, the that, there's the good Mary, and then there's the Mary... Yeah. Right. Yeah. How are you, Tom? I'm good. I'm drinking some Templeton rye. Ooh. Named not after bad. Gary Templeton. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> I, I get the sense that you're teasing me. I was teasing you. Uh, Gary Templeton was a shortstop for the St. Louis Cardinals in 1977, but he had nothing to do with this rye whiskey. This rye whiskey was brought to me uh, by my wife, who got it as we get most of our bourbon as a gift from someone at work. <laughs> <laughs> do you get... Are you gifted a she lot of bourbon? She gets a lot of bourbon. That's strangely yeah, well, this, specific. In this case, rye whiskey. But mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, don't want to get that confused. Um, I'm drinking Recon del Tajo. Si. It's a, a Spanish red, hmm. and uh, it is from Lot 18. And the only reason I bought it is because they sent me an email saying, you have a $15 credit that you have to use by tomorrow. And I said, that sounds like free wine to me. So I went in, and then I spent $30. Ese credito es delicioso. Sí, claro, claro. <laughs> Muy delicioso. Anyway, uh, so I'm enjoying that very much. Um, but let's let's quit beating around the bush. Quit, quick beating. Oh, my yeah, God. Too much, said, too much of the Spanish red. Let's do the quick burns. Hey, the British Fantasy Awards have been announced. Uh, These are the ones that go to the folks at FantasyCon in Nottingham. And the best fantasy novel, the Robert Holdstock Award, went to Cuckoo Song by Frances Hardinge. Ooh, I haven't seen that one. That cover is creepy. Yeah, it is. Uh, Best horror novel, speaking of creepy covers, the Augusta Derleth Award, went to No One Gets Out Alive by Adam Neville. I think the cover for Cuckoo Song is creepier than the cover for No One Gets Out Alive by Adam Neville. By the way, best film slash television episode, Guardians of the Galaxy. I that's, mean, oh, okay. That's, so that's how good still it is. this year, huh? They're like, fantasy award? Yes, fantasy. It's a good movie. I'm going to give it a fantasy award. <laughs> what would you rather have nominated, Tom? No, I would not. I love Guardians of the Galaxy. I fully support this award. All right. Um, but was that this year? Was that in 2020? Was it I, Yeah, that's a good question. Like it came out last summer. So I guess it fall fell in the awards period somehow. I don't know. All right. If they say so. Yeah. Uh, hey, here's an interesting story over on the next web. Uh, this vending machine prints short stories to read instead of looking at your phone. This is kind of cool. Uh, a, a town in France has come up with this device. You you go up to one of these machines and a small story is printed on a piece of paper. It kind of looks like a receipt. 
And you can choose if you want a story that will take one, three, or five minutes to read. And they want to do this to kind of have people doing something other than looking at their cell phone while they're waiting in line or waiting for the bus or all those periods where you just kind of kill time by looking at your phone. What do you, what do you think of this? You know what I do? Uh, well, you know what I can do on my phone? I can read what? a short story. You can. I use that time to read Pocket. That's when I catch up on all yeah. my news stories of the day. I actually adore this idea. I love the idea of a vending machine that will give me a short story, right? I, mm-hmm. I, and I'm sure the first, how good are the short stories? I, yeah, let's assume they're good. I love this idea, especially like, ooh, uh, give me a three-minute short story. I think that's great. Making it about like people are too stuck in their cell phones kind of ruins it for me. And like, also it's technology. It's yeah, technology exactly. that's making a short story. It's not like it's giving away free short story anthologies at like a, a, a library outpost. It's it's called short edition. And the uh, there's also an article on it on Engadget. But this is I, I, it's cute. I like the idea. It kind of looks like a Starbucks receipt. Yeah. What's the city that it's from? Uh, Grenoble. Hmm. Okay. See? Grenoble. And, and apparently a number of machines have already been installed. So it's taking off, I guess. We should get Patrick Beja to go down there and take a look at it. We should. I don't know how far that is. From <laughs> I was going to say, I have no idea it's how like far away really that far. is from Paris or wherever. I, just, I assume he lives in Paris. I don't think he actually does. He lives near Paris. He does used he? to live in Paris, but now he's like, I don't know how it works there, if it's actually a suburb. Does our audience know who Patrick is? Some agrandismont. Uh, if you don't know, he's one of the contributors on Daily Tech News Show, along with myself and Veronica. Mm-hmm. Just a little cross-promotion. That's all. What? We're going to tell you about J.K. But, Rowling's new movie script or do play. That. It's not a movie. It's a play. It's a, no, it's, it's a play. I thought it was a book. No, it's a play called Harry oh, Potter you're and right, the Cursed Child. Uh, but J.K. Rowling says this is the eighth story in the Harry Potter series. We're just making it a play. That's pretty cool. Um, so are we supposed to say cursed or are we supposed to say no, I was just being, child? I, well, just it's being J.K. British Rowling. It? It's Harry Potter. I felt I had to say cursed. The cursed child. Right. Uh, the story will focus primarily, according to CNET, on Harry and his youngest son, Albus, uh, who is struggling with the weight of the family legacy. The synopsis for the show reads as follows. It was always difficult being Harry Potter. And it isn't much easier now that he is an overworked employee of the Ministry of Magic, a husband and father of three school-aged children. While Harry grapples with a past that refuses to stay where it belongs, his youngest son Albus must struggle with the weight of a family legacy he never wanted. As past and present fuse ominously, both father and son learn the uncomfortable truth. Sometimes darkness comes from unexpected places. Ouch, that truth is uncomfortable. Uh, they also say they're going to divide the play into two oh, parts. I made up. I was going to make a. Never mind. What are we going to do? No. What are we going to do? Now I got to do it. Nope. Don't got to do it. Where'd the truth You go? said uncomfortable places, and I was like, like up your butt. You can't handle the truth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's so many horrible things I want to say. Uh, hey, the play's going to be divided into two parts, uh, and it will focus on the characters less on the magic because they're not doing special effects. They'll have some magical elements, they say, mm-hmm. but. Uh, it's going to be m- mostly about characters. So that- I wonder if the same thing that happened when I saw Wicked will happen in this movie, which is that in the scene where they're supposed to fly on a broomstick, the um, the pulleys don't work, and the witch or the Harry Potter just stands on the stage and, and sings the penultimate song of the film or the play. Penultimate doesn't mean what I wanted it to mean it in means that the sentence. Next to last, yeah. I know it wasn't not not necessarily it was just the, the next to last. Song? The ultimate song. <laughs> 
<laughs> the best song. Um, they just stand on the stage looking awkward and wondering why they're not flying 20 they feet above the stage. They around and jumped like they were pretending they were flying. I was kind of hoping. It, it seemed yeah. somehow um, not dignified to do that. There's no I dignity think. in that situation at that point. There's really no dignity yeah. in that situation. You're right. Um, but you know what is dignified? Mark. Lists. Yeah. Mark uh, it sent us the list made by Ann Leckie. It's a team effort here. Anne may be unaware of Mark's part in this effort because <laughs> it was just him posting on Goodreads for us. Uh, but Anne Leckie posted her 10 best science fiction books at Publishers Weekly, and it's made me very sad, Veronica. Well, it's made me feel even worse because of what she, well, who she picked at number two, though I guess I can't hold You've that against her. You've never read Solaris by Stanislav Lem. Let's be clear. That is number two on, on Anne's list. But that's not why I'm sad. I'm sad because she picked Lee Brackett for number three, but she didn't pick the story we read. She picked The Secret of Sinharat in a uh, a double day, uh, double back with People of the Talisman. If I well, had read this but months ago, maybe I would have picked this instead. Well, Tom, not only that, but she picked Embassy Town by China Mieville, ah! which was not a sword and laser pick. She picked Foreigner by C.J. Cherry, which was not a sword and laser pick. The Left Hand of Darkness by Ursula K. Le Guin, not the not, one we picked. Not the sword and laser pick. She did pick Neuromancer oh, by goodness. William Gibson, which was the number two sword and laser pick. Uh, and she also picked The Zero Stone by Andre Norton. We didn't pick that, but we haven't read any Andre Norton. You know and she picked The Star King by Jack Vance, who we get. also haven't read. Now, let me just tell you, I love Anne Leckie. Uh, mm -hmm. St. Louisan, uh, excellent writer, yep. very nice person. I'm going to yep. get back at her, though. Why? I'm going to pick Frankenstein one of these days. Okay. That is her number one pick. Yeah. Then, Frankenstein. then she'll have no idea that we were <laughs> saying this about her <laughs> that list. we have a secret vendetta <laughs> on the podcast about uh, her. No. I guess what we're really saying in our own strange way is what a good list. There's good it's books good, on here. It's a great list. Um, it does make me feel a little silly. I feel like, are we picking the wrong books from authors? Is that our problem? You know, or are there just so many great authors who have written so many great books? Bing. Bing. There's That's your it. answer. Right there. Uh, Joanna wrote on our Goodreads that an E-Arc, uh, <laughs> in case you don't, you're like, what is the sound he's making? E-Arc. E-A-R-C. E-Arc. An E-Arc, an electronic advanced reader copy of Why? Lois McMaster Bujol's latest for Cossigan book, Gentleman Joel and the Red Queen, is available on the Bain Books website. Oh, neat. Very and cool. I, I guess this is something they do. They they do these advanced reader copies, and they're not free. Uh, you can get a chapter for free, but then you can actually pay to get the whole thing. And because there's a whole thread on our, our QuickBurns feed about this, and then they get people who are willing to pay to read online the e arc, but then also want to buy the book later. E arc, <laughs> and that's what they say. When they're allowed to get that e-arc. <laughs> the wine is working. Uh, Trike <laughs> says, apparently the someone... The e-arc sound <laughs> means e it's working. Apparently someone found a map of Middle-earth annotated by Tolkien himself in an old book belonging to the original map illustrator of both Lord of the Rings and Narnia. Turns out Hobbiton and Oxford are on the same latitude. Interesting. You this know, is beautiful, by the way. You guys should definitely check this out. Here's the thing. Here's, the there same, he goes. Here's the thing about being goes. on the same latitude, Veronica. Mm -hmm. You know what else is on the same latitude? Paris and Minneapolis. Okay. 
So don't expect to visit Oxford and see hobbits. That's all I'm saying. Well, I thought hobbits were in New Zealand, which is not on the same latitude. Not at all. Is that just where they're filmed? Yes. And it's not on the same latitude. No, it's a good example, right? Mm -hmm. If you Mm -hmm. only went to Oxford's latitude, you'd never find hobbits. You'd never seen anything, really. You'd never visit New Zealand. You'd be north of Minneapolis. You'd missed it. You'd you'd miss you'd it. Be you'd be in Toronto confused. or something. I don't know. <sighs> there are no hobbits in Toronto, people. Don't go looking for them. Yeah. Well, there hey, might be. Come well, on. thank you all for submitting uh, those of you who did this week to our Quick Burns thread over on Goodreads.com. We look there first every week when we do the show to find out what you guys are talking about. So keep submitting those stories over on Goodreads, Goodreads.com slash Jordan Laser. Do it, do it, uh, do it. Do it, do it, do it, do it now. But now it is time for Barrier Sword, which is our feedback from the audience. Cute story um, published over here on Goodreads uh, by Paul, who says, A few years ago, I came across a short story on the internet entitled The Egg. I really, really enjoyed it and came back to read it again every once in a while. However, I am ashamed to admit that I did not pay much attention to who the author of the piece was, like I normally do with a piece of fiction I like. I went back to read it again last week, except this time I noticed the author's name. Hmm, Andy Weir, huh? This author has the same name as the guy who wrote The Martian. I clicked on the link at the top of the page that read Back to Writings page. I scrolled down the page, and sure enough, there it was. The Martian. The Martian is, sick, has been published in print by Random House. It is available for purchase. Even funnier was this right above the link that goes to the short story, The Egg. The Egg, by far the most popular story I've read. (laughs) Uh, Paul goes on to say, you might want to update your website there, Mr. Weir. And then he goes on to ask what other short stories you guys out there in the audience are reading. And there's some great recommendations uh, from fellow forum members. That's pretty funny. Yeah, that is really, really funny. Uh, Andy Weir is too busy. He's that's, a busy guy. That, that, that's what success looks like right there. <laughs> um, you guys didn't comment on this at all when I posted the, the replay of the Andy Weir and Daniel Suarez interview that we did. But I thought it was just charming listening to, to that interview. Um, I do say so myself. Uh, but I, I, I thought it was... <laughs> and by that, like, Veronica means she sounded really charming. I was, so, I was just charming. I just <laughs> no, what do you mean by that? I, I mean, it was just really nice to hear. I mean, that was his book tour for The Martian. That was before any of this had happened. Well, and that I, was when he was basking in the glow of being published, published at all, right? right? Like, wow, my self-published book has become a real book. Uh, and I don't know, I, I can't remember now uh, if we talked to him about this afterwards or if it was in the episode, but we talked to him about the idea of movies. Mm-hmm. And he was sort of like, well, you know, there's talk about that. And I don't want to get my hopes up, but, you know, that'd be awesome. <laughs> and it was, Andy. It yeah. was. We went back in time and we told him it was awesome. Oh, so that was that was pretty great. But hey, uh, should we should we jump in to discuss a little bit about the book that you picked for for the next month for yeah. um, November? So, so the November pick, I decided to because we had had a couple of newer titles in a row mm-hmm. uh, and I know they're a small subsection but a subsection we f- value that don't always want to go and buy a brand new book or try to track down a brand new book at the library or whatever uh, I was like well let's get something 
classicer. <laughs> more, <laughs> more classic More classic-y. And I went and I just found a couple of good lists of like great books of the 1970s. So I, I picked a bunch of books out of, the, of those lists, put them up for the patrons to vote on. Uh, so by the way, folks, if you are a patron, you get early access to things like that. It wasn't decided this time entirely by the patrons. It was just a narrowing down. Uh, and then I brought it to the wider Goodreads audience with the top three from the patron vote. And the winner was Time and Again by Jack Finney. This book takes place in November of 1970. This was not my intention when I put it in the list, but it's perfect, right? Like mm -hmm. you'll If you live in New York where the book takes place... You'll be reading it in November, walking around going, yeah, it's this is November, except it's 2015, not 1970. Uh, the other thing I did for the patrons who back at the early warning level, I sent, uh, as soon as it, the poll was closed, I sent the announcement that that was the book pick and a bunch of background information about it. So if you mm -hmm. find that mm -hmm. stuff kind of valuable, you might that might be another reason to back us on Patreon. Uh, but essentially, it's a time travel novel published in 1970. Uh, as I mentioned, starts in November 1970 but then goes to the New York of 1882 as well, uh, was originally published as an illustrated novel with like oh. these amazing plates. Uh, so again, I put a link uh, in the Patreon to, to some images, but you can just search and find these images now out there pretty easily uh, if you can't find the illustrated novel itself. And I think the Kindle version does include, or at least one of them I saw, one ebook I saw did include the illustrated versions. Uh, there's a Google book search that can show you some of them as well. Jack Finney was born in 1911 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, worked at an ad agency in New York City, much like the main character of Time and Again. Uh, he moved to Mill Valley, California. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Probably climbed up Mount Tam a couple of times. Uh, uh, for those who don't know, that is very close to San Francisco, just just over the Golden Gate Bridge. Mill Valley, uh, he moved there in the 1950s, uh, and he died in 1995, was given the World Fantasy Award for Lifetime Achievement at the World Fantasy Convention in 1987. But what most people will probably know him for is writing the screenplay to the body, or writing the book, I'm sorry, The Body Snatchers, which was the basis for the movie Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Oh, so he's kind of, yeah, he's got that spooky thing going on, too. Yeah, for sure. Uh, if you like Time and Again, it is a standalone novel, but he did write a sequel in 1995 called From Time to Time uh, and had plans to write a third book, but he never did. He died that year in 95. Yeah. Oh, it was published in 1995. I'm assuming oh. he wrote it before he died. It says he, uh, well, yes. <laughs> yes, thank you. For that clarification. I mean, he was into time travel. I don't know. Maybe. Who, who are we to judge? Right. Who are we to know these things? Uh, well, I'm excited. Um, this was also the only one on that list that was not a post-apocalyptic novel. Yeah. So I'm, I'm also, actually really glad that that happened because. That was not intentional either. I was just looking for things that we hadn't read before or was mm -hmm. by an author we hadn't read before. And it turns out people wrote a lot of post-apocalyptic fiction in the 1970s. So Who there knew? you go. <laughs> um, so you guys are probably all relieved. Uh, I'm excited. Good, good time travel novel. I'm ready for it. Yeah. I'm ready. I, I'm, I'm just beginning it on the audiobook. It's I'm doing audio too. Traditional sounding audiobook. This is one that was recorded for book on tape era. Okay, listeners. well, there are two. You can tell. Well, so the on Audible, there's oh. two versions. One is WhisperSync ready and one is not. So I went with the WhisperSync one. So I'm not sure which one you got. Then I bet I got a different one than you. Maybe. Yeah. It's That's possible. interesting too. I didn't realize there were two of them. 
Yeah, I, I looked for it earlier today, searched oh. for it, and uh, both came up. Same author, same same book. Well, just it's, different it, different recordings, different narrators. So far, it's good writing. It mm-hmm. is definitely in 1970 in some ways. Probably not in the worst ways. You're, it's not like that, but uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's of its era so far. But then I haven't got to the time travel part. I was about to say, make me a sandwich, secretary. Yeah, it's not quite like that. That's not 1970s. That's like 1930s. But it is like two guys in the park talking about things. Like women as sexual objects? No. Well, ish. Not Again, not really bad. Talking about misogyny? This slightly spoilery. It's not Mm -hmm. misogyny, I don't think, in my my definition of it. You wouldn't. Would you? He's because <laughs> I'm a guy. <laughs> uh, in case you didn't know, full disclosure. Uh, as the main character is walking to the park with this other guy, he he notices the the narrator says he notices all the women uh, coming out for lunch and regrets that he would never get to be able to know most of them. That's 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 romantic. Exactly. It's I also, say that all about time all the time about women I see out at lunch. Right. See, I want friends, and that's very 2015 of you. Mm. Okay. Well, I'm excited. Yeah. Thank you for, for picking a, picking a new one. I, I like that or picking a new old one. Yeah. Well, you can thank Anne Lucky for not publishing her list until after I'd picked it or there else we'd be getting Mary Shelley. <laughs> All right. Well now I thought would not have been a bad pick for, for a Halloween time. That's uh, true. Period. That would have been. been fun. Oh. Yeah. Maybe next but, time. But that the, next year will be October for the sci-fi pick. One would think, right? Yeah. Well, doesn't it? Work? No? Wait. No. No, there's 12 months. Never mind. <laughs> okay. Let's move on to our wrap-up of The Trader Baru Cormorant by Seth Dickinson. If you haven't finished it up so far, uh, now would be the time to skip to the end of the show or to listen to another episode or to hold off on this one because it's going to be spoilery. Um, it was pretty funny, actually, last night at the Sword and Laser uh, book meetup here in San Francisco because both Josh... Um, Josh hadn't read it. There were a few people in the group who hadn't read it. And I was like, all right, you guys are banished. You guys, we have to talk about this ending because the ending is where things go crazy. Um, And so, yeah, what did you think overall? I mean, this was I guess this was my pick, but I'm curious to know how you felt about it. Well, when Anuxicomi Phil came out and saw Shadow, (laughs) I knew there would be another two weeks of Baru Cormorant. I thought it was Puxatawney. Uh, oh, Duke Nuxicomi, Punxsutawney Phil. Got it. Totally different people. I was a little confused by that part, uh, but... See, this is the problem because you listen to the audio, so I don't know how to say anything. <laughs> I love the names as pronounced by the audiobook. Okay. Uh, they, they were like running through my mind like songs caught in my head while I was reading this. Um, the the, the uh, Tainhu and Nuxicomi... And Oathfire. was it Nexacomi was the was the pirate was the yeah he was, was the the sea duke or whatever the they sea called duke him. Yeah. yeah the 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 duke of the sea he was the sea do they were the <laughs> just take him out on weekends <laughs> 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 um, I I loved the world building in Trader Baru Cormorant I really did I I am the kind of person who really gets into descriptions of economy and politics mm, though mm-hmm. so I'm the perfect audience for this I thought. The story arc of Baru was intriguing. I know a lot of people felt like it was 
boring or predictable, but I did not think so, even though I, I do think that he did telegraph moves. I thought he was telegraphing moves on purpose because it wasn't about surprising you. It was about showing the difficulties of fighting a system like that. And I, mm-hmm. I, I just, I thought Baru Cormorant was interesting. I thought the world was interesting. And I thought it was interesting that he could have gone in a very mundane way with her story arc uh, and having her be a savant and sending her to an entirely different occupied land was great. I also really, I, I still enjoy the metaphor of this as essentially the British Empire without Christianity. That instead mm-hmm. of, instead of mm-hmm. religion mm-hmm. Uh, pervading Science. the society, it's this encrastic philosophy that pervades society. And I thought that was intriguing too. Did you did you feel shades of Nazi Nazism? Did we discuss this on the last podcast? I think, yeah, we did. We discussed it a little bit, and I think it's because they're talking about eugenics. It's unavoidable, right, to think that. But I don't think it was over the top. I didn't. I didn't feel like oh, he's creating jackboots and thugs and everything. Like it's much more complex than that. And so yeah, there's there's a little bit of that. Like what if? Because frankly, I, the 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 British Empire, uh, a lot of people were messing around with the idea of eugenics as well and could have easily uh, been pulled in that direction. But thankfully they weren't. Um, I, I had some issues with the book. I, I, the beginning I found fascinating. Then the middle part of the book, I was, oh, it was a slog for me. I had a really hard time. I was just, uh, I think the problem started for me and that I did not find her at all appealing as a person to kind of get behind. Um, and then, but she's an accountant. I know it's not to like, maybe it's because I cannot identify with that kind of person at all. Um, but she, she had her, her values and she's definitely stuck to them. I was very surprised at the ending. I, was not expecting her to go full traitor. And what I kind of love is that the title of the book itself is the answer because it's not the traitor, traitor Baru Fisher. It's a traitor Baru Cormorant. Yeah. She is the traitor all the way through up until the end to everyone. And, and, and possibly still, to herself. And to herself and to, 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 um, what's the name of the, of the people? The, uh, the, uh, masquerade. She's oh, even, yeah. even at the very end, a traitor to the, she hopes to be a traitor to the masquerade. If she has her way, we don't know if that's actually going to happen. I kind of feel like she's going to get sucked into that world and be just be taken by the power of the whole thing. But who knows? Um, it's a standalone novel right now. We don't know if there will be another one to kind of close out that story. I wish that the traitor Baru Cormorant was the Anakin Skywalker story. This mm. is a much more believable plot line of someone who wants only good being pulled farther and farther into doing evil. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I have a criticism of the book, it's that I feel like we weren't given quite enough setup for the twist. The twist is a little bit hard. It, uh, was, it was a little bit hard. I, after the battle, I was left thinking, wait, what's, what is happening? Why is this happening? What is going on? And maybe we're supposed to feel that. I mean, obviously it's supposed to be a twist. I mean, if they, if they, if they led more up to it, we would have expected it and maybe he, and he didn't want us to expect it or maybe he did. I mean, maybe we're supposed to remember that meeting that she has where she decides, you know, cause she's going one path. She's, 
she is foiling the rebellion with by by inflating the economy. And then suddenly she decides to work with the rebellion. And I found that that switch off to be very difficult initially. But then I got on board with it. That one made more sense to me where she thought, well, wait a minute, maybe I can maybe I can do this. And and her heart was always in rebellion. So I, I could explain it to myself as this is someone who was trying to do something for the wrong reason or do something for the right reasons that was the wrong thing that finally decided to just do the right thing for the right reasons. And that made sense. Having her turn against that felt a little bit hard to swallow. But once it was done, you could see the pieces of it back there. She had always been thinking about getting uh, to the Capitol. And mm-hmm. and this, and this if she had won the rebellion uh, legitimately and against the masquerade, she never would have gone to Falcrest. That just wasn't going to happen. So it's like, well, okay, she wanted that. Oh, okay. And definitely uh, the, uh, the, the, ju- the justice minister, what was her name? Mm-hmm. Now, now I can't remember. Zate Yala Yawa. <laughs> yeah. Zate Zate Yawa. How do you say it? How did they say it in the book? Tell I don't me, Tom. remember. You don't remember? And that wasn't enough to make me remember. X A T E X X eight X eight Yawa X eight X eight Yawa X eight Yawa. Zate. She Zate Yawa for two minutes over plain justice. Yeah. And I, I I buy that character entirely, playing both sides of the issue at all time for her personal gain. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to believe that's what Baru Cormorant does, but it's on such a grander scale that it becomes more difficult to swallow. I guess the one thing that makes it okay for me, though, is the fact that she did order the deaths of the two dukes who weren't from the Midlands who weren't going to go for her. And Yeah, that was hardcore. And that was the point where I'm like, wow, okay, she is not messing around. She is not good. She is practical. And so thinking back on that, I'm like, she's not good. She's practical. Like, yeah, of course but she's then, I mean, Yeah, I mean, the second you start thinking about her as a savant and as the way her mind has always worked, you you start thinking, well, obviously this is how it was going to go. I mean, she was playing the the ultimate long con. But you get she's wrapped up in her relationships. Too. And yeah, she's a total sociopath. She's absolutely a sociopath. And... You, you start thinking about all the relationships she's created and you're like, wow, you're a pretty good actor. Like you fooled yourself. And we were talking in the book club that we thought it was some kind of form of like maybe it could have been some form of conditioning that she went through at school where she didn't actually even maybe she was just like the uh, con- like the conditioned guys. The um, everyone in the audience is like, did you guys even read the book? You can't remember any of the words. The um, yeah, the white people. The what? The real pale, pale people. But yeah, so yeah, she the was anointed ones, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, you know what? You know what we mean. <laughs> like maybe she was like one of them where she had been conditioned and she had like a trigger word, and then that switched her back over her to masquerade control. Susurus. 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 Uh Yeah, I, I, I think there's a lot going on there, and I, I feel like. This fits in the genre of the Goblin Emperor, right? About po- political mm-hmm. intrigue and government and what moves people to do what and what. And instead of having a good person trying to navigate bad waters, as we did in the Goblin Emperor, we have a bad person a trying to per- oh, make good things happen. Yeah, but I, I don't know if she's ever going to get there. And that's, well, that's the, the, the means justify part, the ends. I don't believe. 
it, that it, she's going to get there. I think that's one of the brilliances of this book, though, is it's a really good story about someone who does believe the the ends justify the means. Yeah. I, you know, like that's Baru Cormorant. She's like, the ends justify the means. I'll do whatever. I'll kill people. I'll upset a rebellion. You know, I will lay waste to an economy. I need to get to Falcrest and I need to free my people. Well, that's what I had. You know, I had I, I had some believability issues in general with the idea that the masquerade would send this young ass girl to a land in such turmoil. Um, but I guess it made sense in the end. I mean, two other accountants had died. So why not just try this one? Well, um, yeah, I mean, that's one of those things. That if you're looking for something to pick on, then you'll pick on that because but I mean, it's that's not, not I mean, it's not even the thing. To, it's not believable. It's it's not. But at the same time, we do. We have all kinds of situations happen that aren't believable in books because unbelievable things happen sometimes. So it's not like that would never happen. It's like it's not likely that that would happen. Mm -hmm. But to me, it's like, yes, but she is the hero of this book. And so it's OK for her to be a savant and and it's okay for her to be put in an unusual position because what I don't want is a book about a fairly qualified accountant being put in a sensible <laughs> position in a corner of the empire and doing a really good job. All like, right. That's not a very All interesting right. story. You don't know. <laughs> uh, Sometimes this wasn't. NaNoWriMo's coming up. Let's hear it. Nano oh, NaNoWriMo is coming up. Jeez, obiso. Uh, um, I so guess a bigger question is, is this book actually fantasy and veronica asked that very question in our goodreads forum <laughs> you know I, I i i regretted starting this thread really why because, i thought it was really good because it's kind of a stupid question i know there's no stupid questions but it's a you know as as joanna said it's it's definitely secondary world um but you know and then someone else said yeah but their game of thrones is kind of the same as this and i'm like no there's there's dragons in game of thrones there's actual wizards and magic and there's not in this book except we do get a hint of something more going on at the very end in her letters where she talks about another land beyond the beyond the sea that has you know, physics that work in a different way. Gravity is not w what we're used to, et cetera, et cetera. So perhaps, you know, in, in this world building, there is something unusual going on, but we don't, we don't see that in the story that we're dealing with, but you know, it's, it's, I didn't really feel like it was a fantastical novel. Well, and, and that's a good way to put it. It is not magic. If mm -hmm. fantasy, it all depends on what people mean by fantasy, right? And and we always get into these gen genre, almost said gender splitting, <laughs> genre splitting. Sometimes, sometimes. Sometimes that too. Uh, we always get into these genre splitting conversations because we want people to know what we mean when we say fantasy. And some people mean it's got to have magic. Doesn't necessarily have to have wizards, but it's got to have magic. And I don't. When I say fantasy, I mean it's not space, <laughs> right? I mean, that's kind of it. Because okay. in, in a way... This is science fiction if you consider uh, genetics and economics as sciences, uh, but it's also an imaginary world, and it is it is imaginary fiction. It's not a mainstream novel about our real, you know, what, what would... Granted, all fiction is fiction, right? It's not about real events, but they usually take place in either a world that is ours or a world that is not. And this clearly takes place in a world that is not. So to me, it is definitely fantasy. I don't know what else you would call it, but I think it's fair to say it's not the kind of fantasy most people mean because there's not like maidens and castles and dragons and wizards and magic and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. 
Yeah, I made people mad in that thread. Or they made themselves mad. They made each other mad. I stayed out of it. Well, it I asked the question and I left. It started very sensibly <laughs> like, no, Veronica, it's fantasy. Just because there's not magic, there's no fantasy. And then people started showing up going, if it doesn't have magic, it's not fantasy. Bang, bang, the gavel. Uh, but I, I think it is a fair question because it helps us define what we mean when yeah. we say these things. So I'm going to call it science fiction. Okay. I think that's fair. Encrastic science fiction. Fair and reasonable. Um, and then we also had a thread from Joanna who said, uh, what's the message? What's the, she, she found it depressing. She said it left her in a nihilistic slump of, can anybody actually ever change the world for the better in a way that sticks for days afterwards? And I have to say, I really, I felt kind of depressed after I finished reading this book too. If it hasn't another weakness, I guess that's it is this is not a book that is going to show you the way, but I think that's, what's so interesting about it. Yeah. A Mary Sue novel would be Baru Cormorant triumphs over all and frees all the colonies and brings back, you know, like this is realistic to a fault, maybe. Mm -hmm. But if there is a message, maybe the message and, and not every book has to have a message. You know, sometimes books can just be books. They could just be stories. But if I were to take a message out of it, it would be when you try to play other people's games to change them sometimes that doesn't work. And the message that Baru keeps learning and hasn't mastered yet mm -hmm. is there are always other pieces on the board. Other people have their own plans. Yes. And they may not fit into the neat little boxes that you've put them in. They don't always do the things you expect them to do. And that can mess with your plans. And you have to, it's impossible sometimes to take account, account of all the possible scenarios and she got pretty good at it, but she wasn't perfect at it. And she may not be perfect at it in the future, but she she learned. I liked what Paulo said, which was that, however, there's no specific lesson concerning Baru's decisions. On another thread, I've discussed this with Joanna. The more Baru makes decisions that we disagree with, the greater the distance that grows between us and her. As long as we ignore the fact that she's a protagonist, she's a very interesting character. And yeah. I mean, if you if you look at her as a as a character study, she is a very interesting character. But it's hard when she's in that position of being the protagonist because we have this sense that we want to like the protagonist, and when we don't, that can be that can really affect your enjoyment of of a story. And I really want to like Baru Cormorant. There, there to me, and I know you didn't like her as much, but there are likable things about her, right? I mean, she's smart and she's sassy and she's got great ideas. I, I think it is challenging to the reader to say the hero is not a hero. Mm -hmm. And the hero is giving you a message and the message is don't be like the hero. Don't don't be like or, that one. Or you end up not being able to see half the world. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that is the very clear, almost hitting, I don't hitting you over the head, uh, metaphor, which is she the cost of all of the things she has done to get her here has left her seeing only half the world. And I, I think that is definitely mm. a commentary on her decision. <laughs> Hitting her over the head. You just got that one? Yeah. Because she did. Yeah. And she, she's brain damaged. That was also weird. I didn't understand that. That seemed unnecessary. I don't really, well, other than that, making that point. I mean. That, yeah. I mean, that's that's saying, you, again, she, does, she can't control every outcome because things happen. Uh, and the cost of that is not being able to see the whole picture. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well said. All right. Well, that wraps up the Tredu Baru Cormorant by Seth Dickinson. Thank you guys for reading along. Um, I hope you got something out of it. I mean, I, 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 I don't know if I can say I enjoyed it. I'm glad for having read it. I don't know if I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it and I'm glad I read it. Good. Well, I hope I enjoy your book next month. So there. Blame it on Jack Finney if you don't. Okay. <laughs> and hey, guys, our show is currently entirely funded by our patrons at patreon.com slash sword and laser. Thank you to all the folks who back our show. And if you want to support us, there's a couple different ways you can do so. But the most direct, most obvious and easiest way is through Patreon at patreon.com slash sword and laser. You can also support the show by buying books through our links. Find our book picks at swordandlaser.com slash picks. We include not only the books of the month, but other books that are mentioned in the shows. And if you buy the books through those links, we get a cut. So, in fact, if you buy anything, you buy a television after clicking one of those links, <laughs> we get a cut. So buy a television. I don't, think that, I don't know if it works anymore. Someone said that, and then I tried to recreate it, how it used to work, where if you click on the link and then go to something else, it keeps the, the tag in there. It doesn't. Oh, it doesn't keep the tag, but it keeps the session. Does it? They say. So they say. Just everyone buy a television, and then we'll tell you if we get a bunch we'll of we'll, we'll, we'll let you know if it works. All right. We'll let you know. Swordandlaser.com slash picks. If you want to get in touch with us, our email address is feedback at swordandlaser.com. Our website is swordandlaser.com. All of our discussions happen over on goodreads.com slash the sword and laser. And you can call and leave us a voicemail at 415-7-SWORD-6. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Three, two. Oh, the dog just farted so bad. So bad. <laughs> Please keep that for our best of. Oh, my God. Three, two. Oh, the dog just. <laughs> One more time.